So if you could be so kind as to make your way to your seat, that'd be really fantastic. So it is uh, my great pleasure this morning to introduce you to Harry. If you haven't met Harry, Harry's one of our leadership team members here in Musenberg. He's one of the guys that makes sure everything happens here um, as we do our best to steer and guide what we believe God is doing. So really excited to give Harry an opportunity just to share what's been on his heart and to to preach with us this morning. So I'm going to hand over to him, and uh, we're going to trust that God is going to be at work through him and through his word to us this morning. Cool. Thanks, Brad. I am on, eh? Okay. Yeah, my message today is based on John 15, verses 1 to 8. It's a very well-known passage where Jesus is speaking to his disciples just before he's betrayed and his death and resurrection. I'm going to turn just to that passage now and read it. And you're welcome to follow along in your Bibles as well. I don't have any slides, unfortunately, so it's going to be sort of just you listening and me preaching under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I think hopefully we'll sort of get there. I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the words that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. And we start with verse 1, which reads, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. And Jesus makes seven I am statements in the book of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the vine. And each statement gives us a glimpse into God's character and what he is like. So we need to read these statements in context and unpack them so that we accurately understand what Jesus is trying to say. Christ is the true vine, and his father is the vine dressers. And there are a number of references to vines and grapes in the Old Testament, which symbolize the nation of Israel and their fruitfulness and obedience In doing the work of God and advancing his kingdom. We see this in Isaiah 5 verses 1 to 7 where Israel is compared to a vineyard under God's loving care. And in Psalm 80 verses 8 to 9, it reads, You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take deep roots and it filled the land. And the fruit of the vine also symbolizes God's goodness and his grace towards his people. And Jesus here is saying that he's the true vine, come to produce the fruit of righteousness that God requires, and we need to be rooted in him 
if we're going to bear, bear fruit for God. The picture of the vine and the branches really illustrates the need for the followers of Jesus to be in complete dependence and constant connection with Christ in order to live victoriously. And this is a significant message that Jesus gives his disciples as he prepares to leave them. And it's a significant message and encouragement for us as well as branches are connected to the vine. So we are united with Christ. Verse 2 reads, Every branch in me that does not bear fruits, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruits, he prunes that it may bear more fruits. The branches are all those who claim to be followers of Christ. However, not, however, not everyone that claims to be a follower of Jesus truly belongs to him. And true believers, despite their failures and sins and shortcomings, will begin to bear fruits produced out of a living relationship with Jesus. And Jesus makes a distinction between taking away and pruning. There's a useful description of this distinction in systematic theology. The branches that do not bear fruit, though they are in some way connected to Jesus and give an outward appearance of being genuine branches, nonetheless give indication of their true state by the fact that they bear no fruit. So the most trustworthy evidence of someone's spiritual condition is the fruit that they bear. And fruitful branches will be pruned so that they can grow and bear even more fruits. As the children of God will be pruned, sometimes we go through trials, and that's sometimes painful. But God's intention is for good, that our faith and our character will be strengthened, that we may grow in the things that He has for us, in the works that He has prepared beforehand, that we should walk by them. And we can be encouraged by verse 3, which reads, You are already clean. Because of the word that I've spoken to you. Jesus is speaking to his disciples and assuring them that they are genuine believers, belonging to the family of God. And if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've been saved, you've been forgiven for your sins, your identity has changed. You're now the children of God, and your souls have been cleansed once and for all. You've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and you've entered the kingdom of light. And Romans 8 verse 9 says, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. But we need to also recognize that there is a continual cleansing that takes place after salvation. As we develop in maturity, progressively, through walking in relationship with Him and immersing ourselves in the Word of God. You know, as we walk through this world, the dust of sin is going to cling to us. But the Word of God, activated by the Holy Spirit, is a disinfectant that washes us, sets us free from sin, helps us to be holy, helps us grow in faith, and gives us power to live holy lives, to live victorious lives. As it says in Ephesians 5 verse 26, we are sanctified and we are washed through the word of God. In verse 4 reads, Abide in me and I will abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. So what does abiding or, or remaining mean? There's a mutual relationship that's emphasized here. It isn't just that we 
in our abiding Christ, He also abides, He also lives in us. And we can see something of this close relationship described in Song of Solomon 6 verse 3. I am my beloved's, and my beloved is mine. So Jesus encourages His disciples with this picture of continued relationship and connection and communion with Him, even though He was about to leave them. But it's clear that there's a choice involved. To live in Him is something that we choose. As we walk through life, in every decision that we make, we need to choose to live in a way that pleases Him and also that keeps the connection, the relationship with Him alive. We choose daily, every day, to prioritize our relationship with Jesus above the things of the world that would distract us, above the temptation that would draw us away from Him. And apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Just as the branch can't bear grapes unless it's connected to the vine, we can't bear fruit unless we are connected to Jesus. The branch draws its life from the vine. In the same way, we draw our life from Christ. And we cannot truly glorify God and advance His kingdom unless we are consciously, intentionally connecting and investing in our relationship with Jesus. And Jesus re-emphasizes this point again in verse 5. He repeats himself, it's very important. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And if we yield our lives to him and are obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit, he has sent to guide us, our lives will bear much fruit. And if we don't, our lives won't be fruitful. And we won't be useful in fulfilling the work of the kingdom. And being fruitful isn't about being successful or failing from a worldly standpoint. It speaks to our hearts. It speaks to our motives. Whether we prompted through obedience and love. Through obedience to what God is saying to us through His words and Holy Spirit. And if, if we're in a relationship with Him, we're going to bear fruits. It's inevitable. That's our purpose. I mean, the purpose of the branch is to bear fruit. You know, and, and our connection with Him should be evident through much fruit. And that fruit is shown in our character as evidenced in Galatians 5. There's a great little children's song. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But it's also represented by good works that have an impact on the world because as Christians, as the people of God, our purpose is to glorify Him by being more like Him and to bear fruit that will be enjoyed by God and by people, for we are blessed to be a blessing. The scripture reads that apart from Jesus, we, can't, we can do nothing, and that isn't just speaking about activity. Because certainly the enemies of Christ are very active in this world. Speaking about the fact we can't do anything that's of real eternal value without Jesus. As Philippians 4 verse 13 reads, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And the extent to which we are fully dependent on Jesus empowers us to live the God life that he has called us to. As we remain in him, we are changed to be more like him. And our love not just for him. But for those around us, in particular, the people of God grows. And we recognize that our walk and our calling and our identity is not just an individual one, but that we are part of the body of Christ. We have a corporate identity and we begin to grow 
in unity and in purpose, encouraging one another, calling out the gifts and the purposes of God in one another, so that we may all be fully mature in Him. In verse 6, we read that if anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. And there is a warning here that the fruitless branch, which does not abide in the vine, is destroyed. It's good for nothing but burning. There are great consequences of failing to abide. And the point of this imagery is to illustrate that those that bear fruit give evidence that they are abiding in Christ. Those who are fruitless give evidence that they are not But if we have placed our faith in Christ and we trust and we love him, he promises to keep us despite the fact that we may stumble and sin. And if we believe in the Son of God who died and who rose again and our hope is in him, if we, despite our imperfections and our failures, recognize and exalt him as Lord of all and Lord of our lives, he he will not let us go. As Jesus says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And to my mind, what this passage is conveying is that there are no true disciples who do not remain in Christ. So even when we fall, we feel we've blown it, and we feel that we're not bearing fruit, God still looks at our hearts, and our desire to live for Him. And there's an encouragement that even in the darkest of times, even when we are at our most backslidden, to call out to Him that He may work in our lives and use us for His glory. We are called as Christians to persevere. And when we fall, to get back up again, to keep moving forward with our eye on the prize to which God has called us heavenwards in Christ Jesus, as Philippians 3 verse 14 encourages us. In verse 7, Jesus says, If you abide in me, And my words abide in you. You will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. That's such a powerful message. Remain in me, abide in me, and I'll give you the desires of your heart. Through intimacy with Jesus, our faith begins to grow because we know him and we trust him and and we can start to believe in him for the impossible. Do you believe God for the impossible? Don't you know that he wants us, he calls us to trust him for the impossible? Or do you just believe him for the possible? What you think is you know, possible, maybe a bit of a stretch, but not completely impossible. No, we limit him. We limit God. And the reason we do that is because of our lack of knowledge of him. And we remedy that by intimacy. By intimacy. By knowing him. By loving him. By being in relationship and communion with him. And by being obedient to him. And as we abide in him, we have a revelation of the incredible love of God. The love that heals us, that sets us free, that casts out all fear, and that empowers us to boldly discover our calling in the kingdom as we learn to walk in our identity as the dearly beloved children of God. I just want to say, you are the dearly beloved children of God. You have an identity. You have a calling. Don't settle for anything less. Don't settle. Don't limit yourself. 
God wants to use you. And I just want to call out just the giftings and the callings over your life where you, other people have just pressed you down. I've said, you're not good enough. You can't be used of God. I want to say that is a lie from Satan. And I break that now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I declare that you shall be used by God in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you shall go forth and you shall multiply and you shall advance the kingdom of God. You are set free to live a Christ God-following life in the name of Jesus. I declare that this morning. So what does it mean to to abide in Him and have His words abide in us. What's made clear in this verse is that abiding in Christ isn't just an emotional connection. Although a passion and a heartfelt longing for Jesus is what we call to as His, as his children. It involves an abiding in His words. The teaching of Christ. The teaching of the Word of God needs to live in us as Christians. And to allow His words to remain in us involves recognizing and submitting to the authority of His Word over our lives and choosing to surrender our lives to Him in obedience. In Psalm 1 verse 3, those that meditate day and night upon the law of the Lord will be like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And without a practiced and prioritized lifestyle of daily meditation on the Word of God, we will fall short in our call to obedience. We won't bear much fruit, and we'll fail to experience the fullness of the power of the Word and the Spirit acting in union to usher in all the benefits of the kingdom. Having the words of Jesus abiding us is more than just memorizing Scripture, because even the devil can memorize Scripture as we saw when he tempted Jesus in the wilderness. The abiding of Jesus' word in us means that his words find a home in us, that they take root and they produce faith and they produce holiness. The word abiding in us transforms us. So we're walking in holiness and love rather than selfishness. We know that intentionally walking in sin cuts us off from answered prayer. But we know from John 8 verse 32 that if we know the truth, the truth will set you free. And Jesus' words produce freedom, they produce faith, they produce holiness because they conquer the devil. Without Christ, we have no defense against our enemy. The world is held captive to him, but in 1 John chapter 2, John writes, I write to you, young man, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. I write to you, young woman. I write to you, old man, I write to you, old woman, because you are strong. The word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. There is a connection between having the word of God abiding in us and overcoming the evil one. Satan cannot stand against the all-powerful, liberating, transforming word of God when it is abiding in our hearts. And we begin to learn to hear his voice as he speaks to us through his words made alive by His Holy Spirit, and we become sensitive. Sensitive to that still, small voice of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And as we hear His voice, and as we respond in obedience, so we continue to remain in Him, and so we continue to hear His voice more clearly. 
we begin to believe him for the promises that he's given us in his word and the specific promises that he has spoken to us that come out of our walk with him. And if we truly believe God's word, we will understand that the promises of God are the foundation for a life directed by faith. And we will understand the most effective way of building and strengthening our faith is to focus on the promises of God, particularly those that speak to the situations of life in which we find ourselves. Samuel Clark wrote the following several hundred years ago. Don't expect you to know who he is, but he was quite a well-known latter-day Puritan. He writes, A thorough acquaintance with the promises would be of the greatest advantage in prayer. With what comfort may the Christian address himself to God in Christ when he considers the repeated assurances that his prayers shall be heard with how much satisfaction may he offer up the several desires of his heart when he reflects upon the texts wherein those very mercies are promised? And with what fervor of spirit and strength of faith may he enforce his prayers by pleading the several gracious promises which are expressly to his case? Romans 10 verse 17 reads that faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And in Mark 11 verse 24, Jesus says, All things for which you pray and ask, believe that you've received them and they will be given to you. So faith is essential for answered prayer and the word of God living in us builds our faith. And as faith arises within us, the promise that we shall ask for anything in his name and it shall be done for us, becomes more real to us. We begin to trust him more with the things in our lives, as a child should trust their parents. And God loves it when you come to him in trust and expectancy that he's going to answer you. In Hebrews 11 verse 6, it reads, Without faith it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. As our faith grows and we begin to truly, really, truly believe we're in a relationship with this great God that created the heavens and the earth and that he actually answers our prayers, he actually listens to us, we actually start to pray more. And not just for the things that concern us in our lives, but for those around us and indeed that the kingdom of God would be advanced. We begin to have a heart for the lost to reach out to others with the gospel. There is a correlation between abiding in Christ and answered prayer because the word of God's living in us guides our prayers. 1 John 5 verse 14 says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So abiding in the word of Christ directs us to what God's will is in prayer. And prayer is not just about our needs. Prayer is for fruit-bearing. God gets glory when we ask him for Christ-exalting, God-glorifying, kingdom things, and he has an opportunity to answer them. He gives them to us. So if we're not devoted to fruit-bearing, we shouldn't expect great answers to prayers in our lives. I mean, God's 
is gracious and God does amazing things, but certainly there is power when our lives are sold out for Jesus and we are devoted to reflecting His glory and representing Him in this world. What's important to note is that as we abide in Jesus, we begin to be changed, to be more like Him. We start to be conformed into His image and our desires become aligned with His. We hear His voice more clearly and our prayers are not fleshly, self-serving ones. As we begin to understand what Jesus wants to do in and through us. And this is what is meant in Psalm 37 verse 4 when, when David says, Delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The desires of your heart will be transformed into God-related desires when our hearts delight above all else in the Lord, in glorifying his name, seeking his kingdom, and doing his will. And in verse 8, Jesus summarizes our great purpose in life. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so that you will be my disciples. And the purpose of fruit bearing is to bring glory to God, not to us. It's not about us. It's all about him. A branch that bears much fruit brings honor to the vine. A disciple who bears much spiritual fruit brings honor to God. And real fruitfulness is determined over time. As Christians, we need to be continually examining the amount of fruit that we bear in. Now, where there are blockages in our relationship with God, either due to not spending time with God through prayer and the words, through being distracted by the issues and burdens of life, through areas of sin, we need to acknowledge these areas and we need to repent of them so that we can be set free to bear ever-increasing amounts of fruits. Our goal as Christians should always be to bear more fruits and to glorify Him. And the Word and the Spirit work together to guide us to dynamic encounters with God that will transform and empower us and take us deeper into relationship with Him. And what's key is we don't just read the Word of God as the Pharisees did. You're just looking to study and to memorize, but not listening for the voice of the Lord in Scripture. We need to have faith that the Spirit and the Word acting in unity will do more than we can ask for or imagine in our lives and in the lives of others. We cannot be a people who read about the miracles and supernatural encounters in the Word of God and fail to live a life of joyful expectancy that we would see and experience those miracles in our lives and in the lives of others. That is not the church we are called to be. We were made for a mission. You were made for a mission. God is at work. And as you... And as I abide in him and begin to bear fruit, he promises that he will partner with us in this mission, which is to reconcile the world to himself. That is the great commandment we are all called to in Matthew 28, verses 19 to 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. He wants his joy, his peace, 
and His wholeness to fill the earth. For all people to come into loving relationship with Him. And for the works of the enemy, sin, sickness, and spiritual bondage to be destroyed. That is our mission as His children, to be a vessel for His kingdom and His glory to transform the world around us. And through lives surrendered to seeking God's will, searching His word for truth and asking the Holy Spirit to make it alive to us, we will begin to experience the promise that Jesus gave to His disciples in Mark 9, verse 23. All things are possible to those who believe. And the world will experience this through us. And I'm going to close now, and I'm going to ask Struan and the worship team to come forward. And we're going to spend some time in worship and just give you and, and me, because when I preach, I'm preaching to myself firstly, to just reflect and just to respond to this word. And if you want to come forward for prayer, you know, if you've something in the message you really want to respond to, then please feel free just to come forward and there'll be people up front just who will just pray for you and we'll just trust God together just for what he wants to do in and through you. So yeah, Struan's going to just lead us in worship. We're just going to have a time sort of the next sort of 15, 20 minutes just to wait upon God and just to, to just commune with him and just to abide in him. Thanks.